Backed is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Available for download now in the App Store and Google Play Store. And I also want to take a moment to thank Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone, and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with Trezor Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at Exodus.com today. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning into this episode of The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. We have a very special episode for you today on Doge Day, as the kids are calling it. Bill Capuzzi, Chief Executive Officer of Apex Clearing, their clearing firm and operator in the crypto market as well. We'll get into that. Bill, thanks so much for joining the show. Frank, thanks for having me. Happy Doge Day. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Good, good to talk to you. Yeah, it's it's a pleasure. Um, it's an interesting time for the market. Maybe before we dive into some of the things we've been seeing in terms of market structure and the SPAC market, and and obviously the sort of meme stock boom that's gripped markets. Maybe walk us through a little bit about what Apex is all about. I was actually speaking with an institutional trader this morning, and he was telling me about how important you know, having a clearing relationship is some people think they can do it on their own, as we've seen with yep. with Robinhood. Um, but at a basic level, right, you guys are sitting behind many of these platforms and brokers. What what makes your your sort of function important and, and walk us through it? Yeah, sure. Um, so look, I think the, the best way to describe Apex is we are the fintech for fintechs. And what that means is, you know, think of us as as sort of a platform, Frank. Right. Our job is to make the the process by which you want to offer an investing solution, make that simple, seamless, um, accessible for anyone, right? For from an end customer perspective. And you know, the focus for Apex is purely B2B. Right. So we'll work with the likes of SoFi and Webull and Stash, M1, Goldman Sachs Marcus, Capital One a whole bunch of different customers and 
the whole premise is to just make it simple and easy for someone to sort of offer an investing solution, whether that be equities, options, futures, fixed income, cryptocurrency, you know, at some point NFTs, right, for allow them to, to offer investing in a simple way. Can you walk us through how the business has grown alongside the explosion in mom and pop investing? Yeah, I'd like to talk about it in terms of the number of end customers that that we serve. And I think, you know, we we finished 2019 at roughly 6 million end customers that we were servicing on behalf of our customers, right? Our, you know, the, the SoFi's, the stashes of the world. By the end of 20, we were at 10 million customers that we served. Um, and the interesting part is, you know, talk about the velocity and the interest on the on the retail side, uh, we now sit at close to you know a little little over 15 million customers that we're serving. So in the past three plus months, we've added another five million customers as the custodian um, that we're servicing on behalf of you know like I said the SoFi's the stashes of the world. Interesting. So that growth you attribute mostly to the explosion in retail trading. Yeah. Look, I, I think. You know, I get this question a lot, Frank, and in, in around, hey, you know, is you know the COVID phenomenon, and 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 look, I, I would say that the interest from a retail investor standpoint had started long before 2020, right? And you know, I think you know the bull market for sure, you know, sort of created some some interest. Um, I think the fact that you know Robinhood. You know, as a partner of Apex back when started zero zero commissions, you know that was then followed by you know the likes of Schwab and TD and you know, E-Trade and everybody else back in 2019. You know, and then what you do is you sort of add an accelerant, right? Which is we you know we ran into COVID at the start of 2020, and and you know the accelerant there was people were sitting at home, there were no sports, right? There was nothing to do, and you had. You know, basically, people that had access to the markets had more time on their hands. The front-end technology of our partners, right? So this is where the perfect sort of relationship works. Is like, okay, you take a stash or a Weeble. Their job is to create a great platform, a front-end, right? Front-end technology and great content. Um, and you take a seamless back-end like Apex, where the account opening is is you know seamless and real time, and you know everything happens as real time as possible. And you add all that up, right, in the middle of a whole bunch of volatility, and then a sort of this accelerant in terms of the market growth. And it was just sort of a perfect storm, you know. And now we find ourselves now in 2021, on the other side of this COVID you know pandemic to, to a large extent, um, but the velocity continues. And I think that has to do with obviously lowering all those barriers to entry I just mentioned, right? Zero commission, better access in terms of the apps and the front, you know, front end technology, better content for the end customers, and social media. At some point, we'll probably talk about GME and costs and you know AMC. You know, this is a phenomenon markets have never seen, which is how is social media influencing retail investors? My question, I guess, is what does it look like when you layer on top of this meme stock mania, unprecedented amount of retail traders, an unprecedented number of platforms as well on which they're trading, and then you add leverage into the mix? How do you keep things from breaking down? I think I was reading the other day in the Wall Street Journal that 
there's more borrowed money being traded than in many, many years. And how do you account for that? Yeah, look, you know, as as this platform and at the core we're a custodian, you know, the first and foremost thing is to make sure you protect the assets of the end customer. Right. So it's great. You can offer all this access and we talk about options and futures and cryptocurrency. Just got to make sure that that it's done safely, that that the right risk controls are in place. And and that's part of our job, right, is to is to make sure that, okay, you mentioned leverage in terms of let's just call retail margin, that it's, you know, it's managed on a real time basis and that, you know, customers are being prudent in terms of leveraging that leverage. And, you know, this is where, again, the partnership between us and our customers, it's really a tight symbiotic relationship and, and think of us as sort of a backstop right so there's the end customer and you know let's just say you guys had on uh tom sosnoff not that long ago you know tom's tasty traded they're a client of ours they're the front line first line of defense like our interests are aligned here which is to make sure that it do things safely and so they're they're servicing the end customer um, and making sure that in the case like you said leverage is done properly um, and that people aren't getting sort of over their skis. And then we're effectively doing that behind the scenes on our customer at a sort of portfolio level, at a customer level. And so there's that sort of extra level of risk management um, that's that's in place. And we're really good at the risk management stuff. We really are because you know, that's at the core of, of what we do. You know, there's systemic issues in the market, in the industry, though, that you know, you talked about the meme stocks, you know, in terms of the way that the exchanges responded, right? You go back to January 28th and you just replay that day as an industry and you look and you say, okay, what, what happened? You know, how should it have worked? What went right? What went wrong? And there was a whole bunch of, you know, they're not even footfalls. There were just systemic issues, both on the exchange side and frankly, on the, on the clearing side that sort of reared their ugly heads that day. In your view, did it sort of put into question the efficacy of T plus two? And and do you think it'll expediate the process to getting towards more instant settlement? Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll get to cryptocurrency at some point, but that's T zero, right? It happens. It works today, right? Why is 2021 arguably the greatest country in the world, right? And, and the best we can do is is settle trades T plus two. And that doesn't even include the weekends, right? So you're talking about someone who buys stock on a Friday. You have two days, you get freebies, two days, you know, Saturday and Sunday. You get a freebie on Monday and you, have, you settle the trade. You have to come up the cash by Tuesday, right? In what other part of your life do you get to pull that off? It, it just seems you know, illogical in the sort of world we live in today. And so, yeah, the, you know, the, the great thing is, is that sort of, it was a fire that was lit. I am very outspoken as it relates to this, you know, and the challenge is not, frankly, DTCC, right? The biggest challenge for us to get to T1, you know, T0 is not going to happen for equities. I'll just say that. It'll be really clear. The chances of T0 happening anytime soon is slim to none. And we can talk more about why that is. But you know, I think T1 is somewhat realistic. And the biggest impediment for our industry to get there 
you know, it's to some extent is DTCC has got to do a bunch of work, but it's really the big banks, right? It's the state streets and the JP Morgans, right? And the city banks of the world where their infrastructure is built on old COBOL code, right? We're talking 1980s technology and their ability to settle a transaction and do the things that have to happen in a more real-time way means an en- enormous overhaul, even to get to T1. And so you know, the, I think the biggest challenge we're going to have to get there is that there's going to be massive pushback from those big banks and inertia in the industry right, because of the expense that's going to come along with trying to get to that point. So it's kind of an issue of just getting everyone around the table and executing. It can't just be one person who leads the charge. Brokers, banks, custodians, and clearinghouses all need to be on board. Yeah, because look, you know, the street's fragmented. You guys understand the liquidity and how things are traded, you know. And, and so what happens is you buy a small block of Tesla today, you could end up with 25 different counterparties, right, to buy 10,000 shares of, of Tesla. And so in order for you to settle that trade, it means that every one of those counterparties, everyone that you bought stock from, every seller that was out there, the 25 different counterparties, they all have to sing you know, the same hymn sheet. They all have to you know, be along for the ride for T1. If one of them isn't, right, the whole transaction fails, right, which puts the other 24 participants in jeopardy, right? And this is why the likes of DTCC, I think, is important to sort of force the industry down this path. And it will take, a, by the way, a rule change. What's going to end up happening is the SEC will step in and say, okay, we're going to we're going to move to T1 and the implementation date is going to be, I'm going to make it up, May of 2024, right? We're going to set it, you know, I, I'm hoping, but you know, that the expectation is we'll put a date out there that's three years out. And the expectation is all the counterparties, all those firms that are out there are going to have to work to get there. You know, this is a good opportunity for Apex because we're ready for it today. And so all those firms that have to try and spend millions, if not some of the cases, billions of dollars to retool their systems will just say, look, we just can't. We're going to focus on the customer and we're going to leverage somebody like Apex as a platform uh, to be able to do that for us on a real-time basis. With the meme stock situation and some of the blowups and platform outages that we saw, the, the broader market almost got a taste of what the crypto market's been experiencing for the last, you know, 10 years since it started, really. In, in some way, the way we look at it is they're kind of converging in, in many ways. The institutions are coming to crypto and, and the sort of retail degens are coming to broader equities. When you have instances like this past weekend where markets tank 20% and you have cascading liquidations that are triggered from offshore venues with lots of leverage being used, what does it look like from the perspective of, of your firm, of Apex? How do you handle those market drawdowns and, and is it all hand on deck situations for you guys. What does it look like? No, it, it's not. I mean, th- this is part of you know, sort of the innards of Apex is to the extent possible take every piece of what we do and truly make it exception processing. 
right? So, and what that means is that, okay, I got 450 people that work at the firm. We service 15 million customers. Uh, you know, we processed hundreds of millions of trades um, over the course of the first few months of this year. And, and the only way you can do that is you have hyper-efficiency and, and great, right, great technology. And so, you know, markets are going to go up, markets are going to go down, and you need to have the right real-time risk controls in place to be able to sustain that, right? They're they're not going to just keep going in one direction. There's going to be volatility in the market. And it's something we talked about earlier, which is, you know, to the extent that we're providing leverage, right? Our money in the case of, you know, margin, we just track that really closely, right? And to the extent that something somebody is invested in is going down by a significant amount based upon the market, and they borrowed our money, right? There's what's called a margin call, real time, right? Okay, look, we're either gonna, you know, we're gonna buy in your position, right, to cover the margin, or you're gonna have to come up with cash. Um, and the cool part, back to what I said before, is, you know, this is where the partnership with our customers is great, and the fact that you can real time interact with a customer, right? Because the apps are terrific, and the ability for people to connect. And send real-time information is, is so much better than it was you know, five years ago. That interaction works really well. And by and large, you know, we manage that risk. Um, so those things are going to happen, right? And part of our job as a custodian and a platform is to just you know, be able to manage through that. How much risk does something like, I'm looking at the data right now, $9 billion in long liquidations present to the market in a single day? For the crypto market, which is a lot. I mean, a, yeah. a good amount. You know, the the funny part, and you guys probably know this better than I do, is you know we have sort of a tale of two cities right now. You have sort of institutions that are coming into the crypto space, right? They're seeing that it's a more stable. You know, let's just take Bitcoin. It's more stable than it was a year ago. There's more activity, and it's something they can't can no longer ignore. And then you have the retail side. Right. And how those two things are sort of, you know, sort of bouncing up against each other and how they're going to affect, you know, the, the price of a coin. You know, we're starting to see sort of for the first time. It's, it's interesting. We service retail customers, like I said, and then advisor firms, right, firms that that advise end customers. And I think this is going to drive further demand. We're now getting lots of inbound inquiries around how to add cryptocurrency to passive portfolios, right? So this is kind of a third dimension. You have retail customers point and click on Coinbase and on Apex and other places where they're you know, buying smaller sh- you know, shares or you know, notional va- amounts in crypto. You then ha- now have institutions, bigger institutions, head funds, sovereign funds that are buying uh, cryptocurrency. And this third piece of the puzzle, which is gonna be the sort of broader advisory world that's gonna be adding alternate assets, right? more specifically cryptocurrency as a part of a portfolio, right? It just lends itself or sort of sort of backstops the legitimacy that this isn't going away. And it's certainly no longer a retail phenomenon, retail only phenomenon, I should say. I think you're right. When you think about the market right now, everybody talks about and focuses on the institutionalization, the maturation, big firms like Goldman and Morgan Stanley looking to offer their high net worth clients, access to the market. But there's still this Wild West element that throughout much of 2020 and 
2021 hasn't just been in crypto, but also across broader markets. So in, in terms of like the, these two markets converging, crypto and traditional, what, what does that look like to you over the next five years? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, you know, look, today, part of the reason you couldn't turn on CNBC over the last week without hearing about Coinbase, right, over and over and over again, and this, you know, this crazy valuation. And I think it's a sign of the times with where we are or where we were, um, where this was a sort of a new phenomenon, something new and, and something, you know, that sort of looked different than an equity. And the reason it had so much success. It's had so much success. Is that you know? Let's just take that Goldman example you said. Goldman says to their their advisors are saying to their end customers, "Yeah, um, this cryptocurrency, you know, it's it's real." And the client says back to them, "Because this was my experience. I, I worked with Goldman. Okay, hey, you know, I think you should have some exposure to cryptocurrency. Okay, great. Let's put five percent of my portfolio. Oh well, we don't do that. Okay, so what, what do you what do you suggest I do? Go open a Coinbase account." And go do it yourself, right? So you have exposure, right? And and that's what's been happening over the course of the last year. Is like, um, yes, it's just the retail, but you've had people being sort of pushed to a crypto specific uh, venues simply because it's the only place to to get access. You know, look, our, our view, Apex. You know, we, we launched Apex Crypto two and a half years ago. The premise then and the premise now is exactly the same, which is. Um, Cryptocurrency is just another asset class. And to the extent that clients want to invest in these alternate investments, in this case, cryptocurrency, we should provide the ability to do it. And we should do it in a way that allows for a customer to access that investment right alongside of whether it's an equity or a future, right? Or, uh, you, know, a, a, you know, an option is just another asset class. Now, we have different regulatory regimes, and it's tricky to do that under sort of one platform, one front end, right? Because you got to make sure you, know, you sort of follow the broker-dealer rules separate and distinct from you know, sort of CFTC and or, you know, sort of the, you know, the, the state regulations. But in the eyes of a customer, the end customer, I'm just talking retail customer, they want to be able to buy Tesla and buy Dogecoin on you know Tuesday at 2:40 in the afternoon and that should be available to them right and it should be that they have a single source of money that pays for both the you know the fractional share of Tesla and the fractional share of Bitcoin and i think you know you, you asked about where it goes 5 years from now i think you're going to see folks like Coinbase they're going to look to to broaden their investing solution beyond just cryptocurrency. I think you're going to see most of the large brokerage houses offering cryptocurrency, right, in five years. And I think, you know, part of the wild card is, you know, we're, we're spending lots of time looking at the NFT space. I think there's a lot of really interesting things in and around, you know, leveraging, you know, some of these platforms to offer alternate investments. Right. So think things like, Frank, we were talking about the building down in Florida, right? There's no reason why you, you can't, you know, digitize a building and offer it you know, on a blockchain. And some of that's happening today. And to the extent that you can provide access to that, 
you know, when in the past that was really something that was only beholden to, you know, really you know, the ultra high net worth, you know, this is all about democratizing investing, providing the ability for people to invest in the things that are important to them. So what is clearing for something like NFTs look like? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're learning. Um, I think the real, the most important thing and the place where I think an apex really adds a ton of value here is, you know, there's this concept of good control location, right? It's a really technical term. It's kind of a geeky term in the, in the world of custody, but you know, the whole premise is, right? Our job is to make sure that the asset that you thought you bought is actually there. And I think, you know, the biggest concern in and around alternate assets, digital assets is, is to make sure that there is a quote unquote good control location. Right. So if someone digitized a bottle of wine and it's in your basement, how do you know it's actually there? And I think we're spending a bunch of time to kind of figure out you know, what we think would constitute right, for us to look at it from a good control location and what wouldn't. Um, once you get past that and, and there's some mechanism to do that, you know, then effectively you just got to offer access to, you know, to, to the exchange. So think, think movies. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Jaws. To the extent that you could buy the clip, you know, Roy Schneider says, you know, we got we got to get a bigger boat. In a world where you could actually buy that clip from the studio and own it, it's one of five, right? Limited edition, one of five, right? There's something interesting around that. And again, to the extent that you can validate that that asset is in fact, you know, Frank's, and we can facilitate that. It's an investment. It's an asset, and to the extent that that you know something that's interesting to you, um, we should provide the ability for you to access that. So, how are some of your existing clients trying to break into the collectible NFT market? What type of products are they sort of working with you guys to develop? You know, I think um, you know the the ones that that we've talked about with folks is, is the same ones that are out there today. So there's, there's art. Um, I think, you know, there's, uh, there's some interest in, in partnering with, you know, on, on sneakers. Um, there's, there's interest around what, what, uh, you know, the NBA top shots in terms of clips from, uh, from sporting events. Um, you know, the, the same things that have been out there so far, I think, you know, one of the interesting things for us that we're looking at is, is that sort of movie industry, which I think um, could have real interest for clients. But again, it's really early days. And I think the part for Apex as, as a platform, so the, the value is, hey, we do this once and then we have 200 customers that can get access to it as soon as we launch. But that's the cool part about, you know, partnering with Apex is like, hey, we do this once, we figure it out. Um, and then everyone can just plumb into our, our APIs and, and offer it to an end customer that's, that's on their platform. Um, but the work right now is to make sure that it's done in a safe, secure way. Um, and there's still a bunch of work to be done there, to be frank. Um, and I, I do think it's a 20, you know, it's, it's coming soon, but it's, it's, uh, it, there is still some work to be done. So what does the go-to-market strategy look like for that? Yeah, you know, for us, look, uh, you know, again, because we're a platform, we're a B2B platform, you know, the go-to-market for us is pretty simple, which is we're going to provide similar to the way we offer Apex Crypto, 
we're going to offer a platform that allows for um, for our customers or prospective customers to you know to you know sort of integrate to the APIs um, and then offer you know we provide not only the APIs to trade it but the market data associated with it and effectively people then take that information and you know as they see fit they'll plummet into their front end right so again let's go back to Tom Sosnoff right he would plumb into our APIs take the market data and create that experience that he wants within Tasty's platform um, and what would happen is effectively someone would point and click to buy a clip of a movie let's just say we'll use that example um, and it would route through our APIs and get access to that market um, and so you can do that on a, obviously a scalable basis and you know you can sort of offer that one to many you know that's the beauty of, of an apex platform mm. so let's say five years from now what percentage of the volumes or the the sort of activity you're seeing on the platform is nft related gosh um i don't know frank honestly and and you know let's just take let's go back to crypto where we are today you know it's about one or two percent of our revenue today now it's growing quickly we've added almost two million customers since the beginning of the year just trading cryptocurrency but it went from really not much to something relevant you know, we've modeled very modest growth in cryptocurrency, partly because of the way you know who we are as a company is you know under promise over deliver, but also part of how we operate as, as a company, which is you know create a platform, provide access to the markets, and let end customers drive demand. And I don't know how that's going to play out, right? Um, I do think it's going to be something interesting. It's certainly on brand for our customers. So like I said, we have you know, 15 and a half million customers. Average age is 31 years old. So it's predominantly millennials and Gen Z folks that are on our platform. And I think that's going to continue to be something interesting for those cohorts, you know, for that, you know, for those um, different customer bases. But we'll see, right? I, you know, I don't think I expect it to be 50% of our revenue, but look, I could be wrong. Yeah, especially with the way the market's been moving, you know, firms are out there raising money on a almost seems like a weekly basis. And the headline numbers that some of these different NFTs are going for is insane. So you definitely can't count anything out. Well, in some of this, you know, it, 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 to the extent that we're the one place to go and there is demand, you sort of catch it you know, tiger by the tail, it could be really interesting. You know, I, we, we launched Dogecoin this weekend, you know, just to give you some perspective. Now, there's, there's, we're not the, obviously the only place you can go, but, you know, places like Coinbase don't offer it today. You know, we opened close to 150,000 accounts um, since we announced and launched Dogecoin, you know, from, from, you know, Saturday until today, which, you know, it just gives you some sense of the interest for some of these assets that are scarce, you know, hard to find places to, to get access. Backed is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together 
to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send, or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Available for download now in the App Store and Google Play Store. And I also want to take a moment to thank Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone, and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. And maybe the best part, Exodus is integrated with Trezor Hardware Wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at exodus.com today. So how did that rollout take shape? What, what was sort of the catalyst for entering the Doge market and, and what does that rollout look like? Yeah, look, the... the the reason for entering the market was purely based upon client demand. So when I say client demand, our customers that use Apex Crypto for access to the, to, you know, the markets, um, we just got, you know, not too surprising. We got lots of, of interest. And again, this is where- or Is that interest coming from the, the sort of B2B clients that you have, the actual, you know, brokers that- Yep. You're offering but, clearing services. But realize too. they're not just dreaming up that demand, right? They're hearing it from their end customers, right? So the end customers are, are raising their hands and saying, hey, we, we'd like access to Dogecoin through, you know, Weeble. And, you know, Weeble's leveraging Apex on the back end. And so it's, you know, as good partners to each other, you know, this is the way it works. It's, you know, Weeble comes and says, as an example, amongst others, and says, hey, look, this is really important to us. And our job is to behind the scenes, sort of that man or woman behind the curtain, is to do the work to to make it available, right? And so our customers take you know the victory lap in terms of you know going out to their end customers and offering Dogecoin, and you know our job is behind the scenes to kind of bring that to life and then obviously service those customers that are accessing Dogecoin. So how do you source that the liquidity for that? It is not easy. Um, you know, that, look, there are liquidity providers that are out there. I, I say it's not easy because, and again, you guys probably know this, it's not like the equity markets, right? You know, we can talk about market makers and the Virtus and the Citadels on the equity side. And my bet is it will get to where the equity markets are. It's going to take some time. It won't take nearly as long as it took the equity markets to get to where they are. But it will take some time, and it you know the, the liquidity is totally fragmented. Spreads are really wide, and market makers or liquidity providers for for certain coins pull their quotes, right? If there's too much, there's too much volatility, and so you know part for us is you got to have 
a series of liquidity providers to make sure that you can continuously offer a service. It's, um, like I said, it's not easy, right? And um, it's work to make sure that you have credible providers that are going to be there when you need them most. And, you know, I think we've done a good job of that. Well, one thing that I've noticed, I was actually writing a piece earlier this week. It was pretty serendipitous that you're sort of on the show um, after this piece came out. It was about the institutionalization of Dogecoin, how, you know, there are a few market making firms that provide liquidity. There are a few funds, hedge funds that are looking for aggregated liquidity in Dogecoin so they can sort of strike while the iron's hot. Um, you know, momentum traders, so to speak. And it's it's a thorny market to get into, right? It, at the end of the day, it is a meme. It's a cryptocurrency, but in some ways, it, it's also kind of like similar to what we see with GameStop, excuse me. And even NFTs too, I think there's sort of like this cultural um, identity element that that is fueling this market. I'd like to get your take on that. But from a technical perspective, a lot of the traders who are not involved talk about the sort of thorniness of the network. And, you know, obviously there's like an unlimited supply, I think, of Dogecoin that can exist. Um, how do those sort of thorny technical impediments, you might call them, yeah. um, shape the, the launch? And then maybe we could just talk about Dogecoin um, as, a, as a cultural markets element and what you think about it. Yeah. So I, I, on the first part, here's what I would say. You know, today you can, you can, you know, let's just take equities. You can go to anyone and get a quote unquote smart order router. There's, there's the streets littered with smart, smart order routers. Every broker has one. And the whole premise of smart order router is two things. One is aggregate the liquidity that's out there and then access it in the smartest way possible. And so you just sort of take that for granted at this point based in, in the equity markets. On cryptocurrency, again, because there is no kind of quote unquote central limit order book, you have a number of challenges. One is just credible folks that are going to stand up when there's volatility and still provide a quote. Okay, that's basic, right? But it's, you know, it's challenging, right, to do that. And you got to have many of them because in any given time, you have to assume one or several of them won't be there when you need them most right and because it's it's you know it's still in its early days there's really no penalty for for fading on a quote and and so so you have to factor that in and then the second part is you have to then synthetically kind of create your own smart order router because you have you don't have one you know nasdaq consolidated tape you know sort of quote, where you get sort of one price, you know, the sort of best price, you have multiple quotes at the same time in the same coin that are not the same. And so you know, part of our job is to obviously ensure some best execution and be able to pull those together uh, to the extent possible. And, and, and so not only have multiple providers, not only sort of obviously interrogate each one of them, but then look mm. to see where the best price is. And that's akin to, I'm going to show my age here, that's akin to you know, the equity markets 20-something years ago. And like I said before, I think, I think technology is, is obviously a lot better than it was 20 that's years kind ago. Of, that's kind of a broader 
crypto issue, right? It's not yeah. just, you know, Dogecoin where we don't know the best price, but even in, in Bitcoin where the market infrastructure is a bit more developed, best price is a is even tricky to very find. Very true. Well. Very true. But I will tell you that obviously it gets a lot trickier with with something like Dogecoin just because there's, there's, there's more scarcity. Now, like you said, there's no limit to the number of Dogecoin that can be created. But there is a bit of scarcity of the asset right now because it's in pockets, right? Yeah, you know, there's some over here and there's some over there. You know, Bitcoin is is pretty, it's a pretty liquid. And if you go to the major liquidity providers, you know, they're they're you know they're holding quite a bit of Bitcoin because you know, that's now the core, the sort of de facto, you know, cryptocurrency that any of the bigger players are are accessing today. Dogecoin is not obviously there yet. And then you ask the question around sort of the legitimacy of it. You know, look, I, um, you know, our job is to provide access and to the extent someone wants to invest in Dogecoin, okay. You know, I think I think there is a little bit of that social media, you know, today's what's today's Doge Day, right? That was sort of manufactured on the internet as as Doge Day, right? And inherent to that, and that sort of gets around Reddit and it gets around social media. It just creates interest. It's it's manufactured interest, um, which I think is part of what's happening. You know, we'll see whether or not Dogecoin continues to grow. You know, the last thing I would say is I think there's interest because of things trading at you know point, whatever it's at right now. You know, you know forty cents. You know, I think it's at thirty four cents. Right. So it's down quite a bit from <laughs> where it was a while ago. You know, it's it's a less expensive. People can buy more "quote unquote" Doge coins, and there's a little bit of sort of this just, um, you know, it's it's uh, you know, there's sort of this phenomenon, you know, winning begets winning, herd mentality. And you know, it's funny. I looked at the numbers of people trading Dogecoin uh, on Apex, you know, the first few days, and I guess not too surprising, but almost sixty percent millennials. Another twenty five percent are Gen Z, so it's only you know now you know again I, the full disclosure that's you know a vast majority of our customers are younger, but I think it was striking that it's it's for sure slanting towards a much younger generation, and the fact that you have almost twenty five percent Gen Z, these are really young folks that you know of all the trading that we did in the first whatever three days, the twenty five percent of it is Gen Z accessing dogecoin that was striking to me it's striking for sure but it's also kind of i think some people might look at that and think it's scary too right younger kids playing with money they they may not be able to afford to lose i was talking to a person younger person yesterday about how a lot of people in his discord see this thing going to one dollar and I don't want to dox anyone on our team, but there's someone on our team whose cousin has made turned like thirty dollars into thirty three thousand, and now he, he's he, but he's still planning to hold till it gets to one dollar or whatever that that mark is. Some young people have made a lot of money. Let's be frank, but um, there's also some that are going to get burned. Does that worry you? Oh, heck yeah! All right, because I think you know that person that has quote unquote thirty three thousand dollars. The, they're already spending it. They're already thinking about what they're going to do with thirty-three thousand dollars, 
right? And frankly, what they're thinking is, I'm going to keep riding. This is going to be 60. And yeah, that's scary, right? Because people make bad decisions based upon what they think it's going to be. And for sure, something like Dogecoin, right? There's no underlying asset, right? And I think we have a ways to go in terms of educating, right? I think you go back to the sort of AMC, you know, the 28th of January, you know, I think it was to some extent similar to what you just described on, on Doge is that there was just this, this herd mentality around sort of piling in versus really looking at the underlying fund, fundamentals of, you know, let's just, you know, pick on GameStop. You know, the fundamentals of the company didn't correlate to a 300 plus price for the stock. And so, look, there, there is definitely work I think the industry needs to do to continue to educate people. I, I would say, you know, I'll go back and make the analogy or the correlation between the dot-com bubble and today as to compare and contrast, because I've been through both of them. And there's some parallels here. Um, the one thing I would say, and we do have work to do in terms of educating, with that said, there's so much more content available and access to information for investors, young investors, right, to teach them how to invest than there was back then. So I do think people are better educated, but for sure, I, I'm concerned about, about that. And again, the way we manage the risk related to that is, let's just take in the case of cryptocurrency, people have to pay for it in cash, right? There is no leverage, right? We're not providing leverage because it's just too risky of an asset um, from our perspective. So we'll provide access, but we're not going to provide leverage. This herd mentality that you described has sort of been married or is coupled with a gamification of the market and and a sort of market where the point is to sort of, well, the point has always been to make money, but there's more of a casino element, I think people will will argue today. Does that mean that the markets are less legitimate than they were? And how do you see sort of stockbrokers getting ahead of this and, and ensuring that there's sort of legitimacy in the marketplace? Yeah, look, I, I've heard this so many times. And, and look, I think there's some, there's some legitimacy to that point. What I would say, though, is, so I have a, my, my oldest is a 19-year-old, right? And, he, and he's, he's sitting in a dorm room down in, at Tulane. And him and his friends on their dorm floor Right, are all talking and investing, and they're talking together about investing, and and they're using one of these platforms, one of these front ends. And what's amazing is that you know five years ago, ten years ago, like you kind of couldn't do that because the barriers were too high for my son who wanted to invest with you know a hundred dollars. Right, the barriers are too high. Right, so it was like. You know, okay, you had a hundred dollars, and and it was ten dollars per trade. Okay, well, like, okay, it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. You can't really do anything with a hundred dollars. Okay, the access to the markets in terms of the apps and the development of the apps, right? So, you know, Robinhood was a partner of ours, and I'm proud of what we did. You know, in terms of lowering the barriers to entry and allow for my son and you know his you know his student you know his his classmates. To access the markets that like that wasn't available, you know, five, 10 years ago. Right. And so 
I think that that's great. And I think there's a whole bunch of people out there you know, that have sort of lived their lives thinking that investing is for rich people. And it's not. It's just not. And the extent you can lower those barriers to entry and provide the ability for people with $100 to start their investing lives, like that's great for our country. It's great for the world, right? Because, you know, there's not enough Americans. Let's just take America, U.S. You know, roughly, you know, 55% of the people in our country do not have an investment account. I mean, it's like it's like 160 million people have, are not investing at all in their future. And the fact that, you know, there's platforms out there that are allowing those people to start is amazing. Now, the part to your point around gamification is, Okay, we also need to do that in a totally responsible way, right? And again, I think content is really good today. I think we've got to keep working on uh, sort of providing a responsible way for people to invest and it not just make it into a game, to your point. And I think some platforms, and I won't name them, but I think some platforms have gone kind of too far with that right? And, and making it simple, right? So let's just take options. I don't know, Frank, if you ever trade an option, but they're complicated, right? And I would say it's, it, you know, options are for more sophisticated investors. And I think that there are some platforms out there that have made it too simple, right? And you can lose a lot of money with trading options. Um, so I think there is some work still to be done in the industry, around that gamification. But I think the benefits have far outweighed the negatives, right? And I think the naysayers in our industry point to, you know, gamification as the reason why, you know, I'll pick on, you know, Robinhood, Robinhood's bad or, you know, Weeble's bad. You know, I think the, the, the benefits are far better than, than, you know, the potential negatives. Totally. Access, democratization, it's definitely interesting. I mean, the alternative, it's just like any other technology, like social media, for instance. It's been able to connect us to people around the world in a way that we never would have imagined possible, but is also this major distraction. If we didn't have sites like Webull and Robinhood, et cetera, you know, we we could have still been stuck in the age of, you know, fifteen, fourteen ninety-nine dollar commissions where, you know, right. or the situation, you know, I was talking to my godmother the other day about the Coinbase direct listing, and she was talking about calling up her broker to to buy some shares. So, I think with any technology and and stock market technology is no different. There's there's drawbacks and and sort of positives. But this was a really great conversation. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, ladies and gentlemen. Bill Capuzzi, Chief Executive Officer at Apex Clearing. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. Good to, good to chat. 